Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please take your seats as the feature presentation is about to begin. Hello there. And welcome to the Sunshine Cinema Show. I'm Marcus, and there's a guy sat opposite me who is the spitting image of the film guru, Nick Chaffee. Hang on a minute, it is Nick Chaffee. It was me all along, Austin. <laughs> How you doing, Nick? I'm, I'm okay, thank you. Good, good. How are you? Very well. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Back from the lawnmower race. Back from the lawnmower race. I was away. We we went, we raced, we crashed. Oh. But it was good. Okay. It was all good fun. Now you can get in touch with the show on Twitter. We are at Sunshine Cinemax. Love to hear from you. And you will be delighted to hear that Nick's passion for filmmaking continues as he's currently developing a movie about a crime-eradicating cyborg that uses a woodwind instrument to pacify the villains. Oh. <laughs> it's something he's calling Odocop. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's the first one in a while I've sort of seen where it was going before you said the punchline. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. No, nor do I, I actually. It's, um, I'm, well, well, it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> on today's show, we're going to be reviewing Late Night, where a talk show host is in danger of losing her uh, long-running show. But then in comes an enthusiastic new writer to help give comedy a rewrite. We'll follow that with our film-to-rent review, which is Green Book, set in early 60s. Uh, a working-class Italian-American bouncer becomes the driver of an African-American concert pianist on a tour of contentious venues through the American South. And we'll also be playing the Take 5 movie quiz in about half an hour. I've got five mystery British films for you to try and identify. But before all that, here's Nick with the latest movie news. Thanks, Marcus. So the headlines this week, Spice Girls to become superheroes in animated movie, and a Swiss theatre has replaced its seats with beds. An animated Spice Girls movie is in the works at Paramount. The film will feature the voices of all five members of the original band and a plot in which the quintet become superheroes. It will be produced by 90s music mogul Simon Fuller and written by Karen McCullough and Kiwi Smith, whose credits include The House Bunny and Legally Blonde. The director is not yet attached. The film will feature original hits from the group as well as bespoke songs and is said to be a passion project for the women who formulated the concept. Paramount Animation President Mireille Soria told The Hollywood Reporter that the band had an idea that we've been developing. They are very involved. Due for release in 2020, the movie is one of a number of new cartoons on a slate from the studio, including a new SpongeBob SquarePants film and Jersey Crabs, a Grease-like musical about warring crustaceans. The Spice Girls founded in 1994 and found global success with songs including Wannabe, Who Do You Think You Are, and To Become One. They have sold 85 million records worldwide and are the best-selling female group of all time. Thanks for that, The Guardian. <laughs> I didn't know who they were until you mentioned that. A reunion tour featuring Melanie Chisholm, Jerry Halliwell, Melanie Brown and Emma Bunton, but not Victoria Beckham, kicked off last month. The Spice Girls' first film, live-action comedy Spice World, took $150 million at the global box office and $100 million in DVD sales, despite unfavourable reviews. 
Yeah, currently uh, rating 3.4 on IMDb. Goodness me. Out of, out of 10. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw that in a cinema. Did you? Oh, crikey. I was, I was that age. <laughs> and I remember seeing it once on, on video when it came out, and zero times since since then. I think I remember uh, Richard E. Grant saying that between that and, and Hudson Hawk, his career wasn't in a great place in the oh. mid to late 90s. Oh, dear. Mind you, with a budget of, I think it's $25 million to make that, if they turned over 150 that's that's pretty good. Happy days, isn't it? Yeah. Some people will pay to see anything. <laughs> Especially if their favourite band is in it. Exactly that, yeah. yeah. yeah no, and the tour seemed to be going well for them, so... Uh, yeah, though, I think there, there were some sound issues or something to begin with. I think that was at the first gig in Dublin. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think they got it all sorted. Um, a, few, a, few, a few of our friends from Sunshine Radio went to see them in, in Cardiff. Oh, no, sorry, in Bristol. I think I know who that might be, yeah. <laughs> Hello, Laura. And, uh, yeah, she got very wet, but enjoyed it. Oh, good. W- wet? He was chucking it down. Oh, okay, right. Was it outside? Yeah, yeah, in Ashton Gate football. Oh, program. I see. Okay. Oh, well. At least you managed to basil through and enjoy the music. Indeed. Okay. Two wonderful things, being in bed and watching movies, are joining forces at a movie theatre in Switzerland. Cinema Pathé has set up a VIP bedroom theatre, replacing bored old movie theatre chairs with big comfy beds. And don't worry, they change the sheets after every screening. But is this a good idea, or will horny Swiss teens flock to the theatre to get it on while Men in Black International plays in the background? According to Travel and Ledger, you can now watch movies in bed at a movie theatre in Switzerland. The down is the beds come equipped with two pillows and an electronically adjustable headrest. Guests can put on a pair of slippers and sip wine from the bedside table. Food options include popcorn, waffles, crepes and hot dogs. Because who wouldn't want to climb in bed and eat a hot dog in public? The offer is unique in Switzerland, and uh, Venancio Di Bacco, CEO of Pathé, but we t- tested the concept abroad and had no problems so far. So... Perhaps isn't the worst idea ever. Watching a movie in bed can be quite nice at home. It's the whole public aspect which makes this a little bit strange. And then there's the concern that horn dogs from across the land will end up knocking boots in the theatre beds. But Tobacco told the Swiss publication 20 Minuten that he's pretty sure the theatre won't turn into a, quote, immoral place. We want to offer both existing and new customers something innovative, Tobacco added. All of this sounds fine, but can it compete with that film festival that screened the movie for people inside coffins? Maybe not. In any case, if you want to take advantage of this book, you'll have to head to Spreitenbach, Switzerland, and uh, put down about $48, which isn't that much more expensive than going to the movies in the in the UK at this point. And we don't even get public beds to climb into. So, what a rip-off. Wow. Okay, obvious question. Would you? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I prefer to sit, I think, because... Um, I'm I'm working away from home at the moment in the week, and I, I don't have a uh, a, a chair in, <laughs> in my room or or, a, or or a table or any kind of service. So when I'm watching uh, movies for this show, I have been sort of uh, watching them on my bed, either sort of you know, lying on my front or you know, or lying on my back, lying down in general. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't see why I felt the need to uh, specify. And for me, it's it's not the most comfortable position to be in when you're watching something for you know, roughly two hours at a time. <laughs> so I prefer chairs, I think. It's going to be one of those odd things where surely people will be finding it too relaxing and, and falling asleep and snoring loudly. Well, <laughs> potentially, yeah, potentially. Especially if you're my dad. Uh, <laughs> well, He's a, a champion when it comes to falling asleep during films. <laughs> well, 
uh, we'll keep an eye on it. If, it. if it sounds like a popular thing and makes its way over to the UK, then we'll, we'll keep you informed on should that. We, should we do a show from there? What, from Switzerland? Yeah, in the words. Wow. Okay, if, uh, if anyone wants to... We'll start, a, we'll start a fundraiser. I'm not going to shell out for, my, for this myself. No, no, no. I mean, I think we should uh, get sponsored by the companies. So. Dreams or something. Yeah. Yeah. And this is definitely going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> in a world fraught with corruption... Two men, united by fate, torn apart by destiny, somewhere between courage and not courage, between the pharmacy and the podiatry clinic, you'll find Nick and Marcus in the Sunshine Hospital Radio Studio. Only they can bring you the Sunshine Cinema Show. Well, let's give you a rundown now of the top five UK box office films and the top five UK film rentals. And starting at number five in the box office, uh, Invent Cinema had Take That, Greatest Hits Live. Yes, uh, something which uh, doesn't even have a poster, according to IMDb. <laughs> uh, so I imagine this is a, a live... A li- well, it's, just, it's a live concert with, with Take Absolutely. That. Absolutely. Filmed in Cardiff. OK. I know someone who was there and thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. Is, is Robbie still in the band? Or no, no. In fact, they're down to three members now. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Couldn't tell you the name of the person. <laughs> I'm just trying to wreck my it, brain. That, yeah. One of the other two. Yeah. Number four, we have The Secret Life of Pets 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Well, the sequel to The Secret Life of Pets, which... Did we review this on the programme? No, we didn't, no. Because I remember seeing it, but then I can't remember why I, I went to see it. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, I saw the first one. Um, I can't remember why. Um, that was okay. Good voice cast. Um, pretty solid entry when in, in the um, CGI animated genre. Very kid-friendly. Um, and I imagine this will be uh, more of the same. Reviews of this one have been mixed. I've, I've seen a lot of people saying... Yeah, it's a sequel. It's not as good as the first one. And then other people have said, actually, this this might be better. Oh. So, hmm. Okay, number three, we have Rocket Man. Yes, previously reviewed on the programme uh, by myself. That was that was a completely nerve-wracking experience, by the way. It's so weird to be on that side of the desk and having to operate um, everything. Because it's a new desk as well. I'm still, still learning how to do it. But, um, no, I, I got through it okay, I think. Um, I've forgotten what I... I gave it a six out of ten. I was... I feel very careful to say that the 50% of the film, which is these musical sequences actually built around um, Elton John songs and then you know, part of the story that the film is trying to sell, are are brilliant. They're really, really good. And I think a, a good indication of what other films in the musical biopic genre should uh, attempt to do with um, adapting the songs of these people that they're telling the stories of. For me, it was just a shame that the the rest of the film is the same sort of, you know, uh, humble beginnings, big fame, and then and then drugs and then rehab that we've seen plenty of times before. Before, especially when you can compare it to something like a, a Star Is Born, which approached that same sort of story and did it uh, a little bit differently. And I should just say at this point that I have finally got around to watching Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Oh, what did you think? I loved it. it it's, was it's so so good. So this is a, a parody. Yes, musical bio. It's yeah, yeah, a parody in the in the the classic sense. It's going after a uh, particular genre, the musical bio genre, and just um, mercilessly. Uh, but what I don't get is that I've watched this and I've taken a Mickey, and I've since seen 
biopics which are still following the same this storyline. Is, this is the thing, um, and that was something that was very much on my mind when when I reviewed Bohemian Rhapsody. I think I, I, I opened my Bohemian Rhapsody review with like a, a comparison of that, and it's it's strange. People people need to see that film and just realise how how limited these narratives can be when it comes to that genre yes okay um, at number two we have X-Men Dark Phoenix yes I've got no appetite to see this I think this is the the, the latest instalment in the um, the X-Men franchise which has been running for a while now like 2002 I think this is the eighth film um, starring Sophie Turner aka Sansa from Game of Thrones yeah and you know, James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender so is Jennifer Lawrence who um seems to be wearing less and less makeup as the films go on <laughs> possibly because she has a, a bit more clout with each one and can um, meet those, uh, those those demands I I mean I've sort of completely fallen out of love with this franchise I think at this point it's I think it's just gone on too long really but maybe it's good I don't know number right. two in the charts and number one in the charts we have Aladdin yeah this is um, the latest live action remake from uh, Disney Studios another money making Spin. I'm trying not to be too cynical about this because clearly people have been, you know, watching it and, and and loving it, and a lot of people I imagine will be seeing the story for the first time, so it'll be new to them. Directed by Guy Ritchie, starring Will Smith. Yes, Will Smith. Will Smith is the genie. How do you feel about that? Have you seen any any clips of him doing his thing? I've seen the trailer, and <sighs> this is the thing because I, I, I think we're um, well, you know, fairly similar in age so maybe there was a sense that we sort of grew up with the um, original yeah. animated version yes and so it's so strange for them to remake it almost exactly the same um, but just in a, in a live action setting which doesn't really allow for um, as much fantastic visuals as, as 2D animation can I don't know that it was necessary but like you said some people never never saw the animated version mm-hmm. and therefore will go to this and enjoy it and hey it's Will Smith Wow. Yeah, yeah. Always in for a good time. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the top five UK film rentals. And at number five, The Mule. Yes, um, I know two things about this film. Um, Clint Eastwood has a... Well, Clint Eastwood plays a character who has a, uh, a threesome. And he directed it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. So let's move on to number four. How to Train Your Dragon Hidden World. Yeah, this this it felt like this came out really quickly on DVD. Because I felt like it was only a couple a couple of weeks ago, but it was still in the in the charts at the box office. Anyway, third instalment in the How to Train Your Dragon uh, franchise. The first two I've, of which I've seen, and uh, uh, yeah, pretty pretty good. I've heard good things about this one as well. Seems a uh, very um, yeah fantastically visual. Okay, at number three. Uh, a film that's been on the charts for about 17 weeks, most of which in the top five. And I won't even make you comment on it, Nick. If you like the music of Queen, it's Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, I think I mentioned this in the Rocketman review. I'm pretty much done, done talking about it now. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you an exemption from ever having to comment on it again. Bless you. Thank you. At number two, a film that you will like to comment on, Lego Movie 2, the second part. Yes, the second part, the um, second best Lego movie. <laughs> still very, very good, though. Um, and I was I was surprised by how good it is, how it still has um, something to say that the uh, the first one did. Um, s- still really funny. Not quite as good as the as the first one, because that surprise element is um, um, slightly diminished. Don't want to give too much away. But still a, a really good example of how to do um, a decent family 
adventure as well. It's, it's not trying to sort of segregate the jokes into kid stuff and, and adult stuff. It's all stuff that I think performs well across the board. And at number one on the UK film rentals chart, we have Stan and Ollie. Yes, which we reviewed on the program last year, or mm. maybe maybe very early this year. I can't remember. We reviewed it on the program before. I have forgotten what score we gave it. It was six, maybe. Maybe, so. yeah. It was. Um, it, it's it's perfectly fine. I think that, I feel like this is going to be a, a comment that I'll repeat <laughs> with <laughs> the reviews. Will be the, the films we'll be reviewing later on. It's it's fine as a drama. Cast are very good. Really, really good. Uh, Steve Coogan and John C. Riley in the uh, in the lead roles as Stan, Lauren, and Oliver Hardy. Pretty lightweight. I felt there wasn't much dramatic punch to it. It just sort of happened. I, on second viewing, I was. Oh, you seen it again? I have, I have, and I was less less taken with it, and I find it find it hard to recommend it. Actually, really? I'm honest. Yeah, if you like uh, Laurel and Hardy, mm. this isn't going to cheer you up. This isn't going to make you laugh and smile like their films do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, there, are, there are other films I would recommend more highly. Yeah, actual Laurel and Hardy films, I imagine. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, um, up next, Emma Thompson stars as a late-night talk show host with falling ratings who looks to an inexperienced young writer to freshen things up. We'll review Late Night. You're listening to the Sunshine Cinema Show on Sunshine Hospital Radio. Uh, if you if you like what we do, give us a tweet. If you don't, um, well, yeah, give us a tweet at Sunshine Cinemax. If you don't, uh, don't <laughs> tweet someone else. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's time to review Late Night, rated 15. A late night talk show host world is turned upside down when she hires her first and only female staff writer. Originally intended to smooth over diversity concerns, her decision brings about unexpectedly hilarious consequences as the two women, who are separated by culture and generation, become united by their love of a biting punchline. Uh, If I may, I just want to say it is such an honor to meet you, Miss Newberry. I'm Chris Reynolds. Uh, My name is Eugene Mancuso, and when my parents got divorced, this show... I don't know who any of you are. I don't know who any of them are. Um, oh, well... Uh, Tom, I'm I'm Tom. I uh, I write the monologue. Uh, I'm actually the youngest monologue writer in the history of the show. No, no, no I, just, I don't care. No. Okay. Do you know what? I'm not going to remember any of this. So here's what we're going to do. Um, you're one, two, three, four. Hi, Catherine. Oh, Birdie! Thank God. How's your baby? She's 27. Her baby's doing well. She's just started preschool. She's, uh... Never mind. I, d- I don't want to know. I don't know why I asked. Actually, you're five. Six, seven. That's what I'm going to call you all from now on. It's just easier. Are we allowed to call each other by our own names? Just, just learn the numbers, Reynolds. Yeah, 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 I mean, two? Yeah. Can one and I switch? I'm, I'm just... I'm the most senior writer. I'll take seven. Seven. Lucky seven. Okay. Can we just get into it now and see if we can salvage anything yes. worth taping? As you can hear, Late Night stars Emma Thompson. Uh, Mindy Kaling is in it and also wrote the film, uh, as well as uh, a wonderful appearance by John Lithgow. Yes. Now, Nick, after watching this, mm. how would you fancy seeing Emma Thompson be a full-time chat show host? I, th- I think this film proves that Emma Thompson would be good at it, uh, mm. in, in the same way that most of her acting roles have suggested that she'd be affected of just about any job that was given to her, I think. Very uh, very adaptable person. Um, and I was, I was definitely ready to see more of her when the, the film was over. 
uh, I have to say I was less engaged with just about everything else. Um, even the show that her character presents felt a little bit disjointed to me. I've, um, it's, it's talked about like this very dry, serious interview show, and yet it um, starts with the, the type of comedy monologue that marks it as a, uh, uh, being a, a collection of very gentle puff pieces. The, you know, the, the kind of jokes you can picture Alexander Armstrong using to kick off an episode of Pointless. And uh, the idea of it being a kind of a TV institution that has to be saved never really came into focus for me, which is obviously a, a pretty big problem, and that's the, the crux of the drama. Um, I was watching it and, and thinking about this. I was reminded of the, the TV show Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Do you remember that? It was uh, Aaron Sorkin's next show after The West Wing finished. And similar to Late Night, it was based around a fictional TV institution. In this case, it was a, a Saturday Night Live-like uh, sketch show. And as much as I enjoyed watching it at a time, there was never a single moment where I found the, the comedy that the show featured uh, funny. And Late Night had the same problem for me. It spends a lot of time telling us that this show is funny and, and well-regarded, but it fails to show any convincing proof that explains why. Um, there's a romance as well, which I completely forgot about until I just said those words. As, as, as far as any kind of story goes, it's, it's, it's an acceptable way to pass the time. And I like to think that what I've done there is pioneer a uh, com- completely neutral comment about that. But it's still the kind of story that can be elevated by a great cast and great dialogue. Neither of which the film has, but um, the cast is good. Emma Thompson's very good. Uh, I, th- I thought it was funny that even though the other writers are given numbers in- instead of names, as we heard in that clip, I-, I still had difficulty picking them apart from one another, which could be seen as a clever move on, on the film's part because it establishes that these uh, writers' rooms really really benefit from diversity and the quality of the work can stagnate if, if they're filled with people who are all very similar, personality-wise. So it, it's good that the film can visualise that by not giving these writers one personality between them. And in my memory, they all just blur together into, into one person. Ex- except for the older guy who used to work at the docks, because he had a moustache. That was different. Um, Emma Thompson is great, though. And I, I imagine that'll be enough for many people. I, I think at this point in, in her career, she has the uh, the same standing in people's minds as someone like Tom Hanks or or Ray Fiennes, the, the type of performer where general audiences will see that they have a new film out and, and think, oh, I like them. They're good. I, I, I want to see them be good for a couple of hours. And the film does deliver on that. Um, I, w- I would say that John Lithgow was probably thought of in the same way, and he you know, has a small role in this too, so you get you get two for your money. That's about all the film has to offer, though, I think. Well, in which case, let's give it a Sunshine Cinema rating out of ten. Yeah, uh, so... Straight down the middle, I think five out of ten. I was I was just describing this film to um, someone at work, and they said, "Oh, it sounds like the Devil Wears Prada." And you know what? It's it is like that, but um, I mean, yeah, you have you have you have the Meryl Streep sort of character in Emma Thompson here, but you don't really have the benefit of uh, an Emily Blunt or Anne Hathaway character to um, to follow as well. And as a result, really, Emma Thompson's only reason to watch it. <laughs> but she's very good. Thank you, Nick. Well, if you've seen the film. And you'd like to share your thoughts on it, then uh, you can always tweet us at Sunshine Cinemax. Maybe you think we've been a bit harsh. Maybe not. We'd love to hear from you anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, still to come, we will be reviewing Green Book, the Oscar-winning story inspired by a true friendship. Before that, though, it's the Take 5 film quiz. In a world within our world, they've created a world unlike any other world. And in that world is a show... 
a cinema show, but not just any cinema show. This is the Sunshine Cinema Show. And it's time for our Take 5 phone quiz. So today's quiz celebrates the best of British with five British films from the 1980s. A nice simple quiz. I'm going to give you a brief description of the movie and you just need to name it. Simple as that. You're going up against Nick but Nick will only score a point if he names the film and the year that it was released in the UK. So, Nick, are you ready? I am, yeah. Good. Are you all ready? Are you not? I can wait. You ready now? Not... Kind of cold, eh? Come on. Okay, now you're ready. Okay, here we go then. Right, film number one. Uh, This comedy told the story of a dual heist and the attempt by the robbers to double-cross each other. It starred John Cleese as the character... Archie Leach. What was the name of this crime caper? Film number two. This costume drama stars Helena Bonham Carter as a woman living a restricted life in Victorian England. And of her blossoming romance with a young man that she met in Italy. What was that? Film number three. This film told the story of two British athletes contending at the 1924 Olympic Games. The original soundtrack was written by Vangelis. What was the name of this inspirational film? Film... Number four. Starred Michael Caine as an alcoholic university lecturer who took a shine to an English literature student. And if you can remember her name, you'll probably remember the name of the film. And finally, film number five. It was the first film in a British horror series that showed a character called Pinhead and the demonic Cenobites. We have such sights to show you. What was the name of this horror film? I saw that one for the first time last weekend. Really? Yeah. Well, well, assuming you've guessed correctly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. (laughs) Okay, well, let's uh, recap and get the answers and find out how you got on, Nick. Because ultimately... You're going to have to name both the film and the year that it was shown. Okay, number one. A comedy that told the story of the jewel heist and the attempt by the robbers to double-cross each other, starring John Cleese as Archie Leach. What was it? A fish called Wanda. Correct. Um, I'm going to run into trouble with the years, I think. I'm going to say 89 for this one. One year out, it was 88. Film number two, the costume drama starring Helena Bonham Carter 
as a woman living a restricted life in Victorian England and her romance with a young man she met in Italy. Yeah, played by uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, I think. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> a room with a view. <laughs> Correct. I'm going to say 87 for this one. One year out, 86. I see a pattern emerging here. <laughs> Film three, the story of two British athletes at the 1924 Olympic Games with a soundtrack by Van Gullis. Mm-hmm. And performed by uh, Rowan Atkinson at the uh, 2012 Olympics uh, opening ceremony. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. Really? It was a very distinctive bit. Look right. it up. I will look it up. It's very good. It's very funny. Chariots of Fire is the film. Correct. And I'm hoping that 86 is the year. Well, you'll be pleased to know you're not one year out. Okay. It was 1981. Oh, oh, okay. Okay, film number four. Michael Caine starred as an alcoholic university lecturer who took a shine to an English lit student. Her name was? Rita. The film was? Education Rita. And the year was? Uh, 83. It's correct. Hey. Very good. Mm. Number five. British horror series featuring a character called Pinhead and the demonic Cenobites. Hellraiser. Correct. And the year? I was going to say 1987. Well... You've pulled it back at the end. Okay. Correct. Well done. It's just occurred to me that Pinhead and the Demonic Cenobites would be a great name for a band. It would be. <laughs> it I'm would, sure yeah. if I Googled it, there would be one. The, yeah, probably. Must be. Yeah. That's too good to miss out on. It's, it's too good an idea for just one person to have. <laughs> yeah. Right. Top those scores up there, Nick? Two out of five. And how did you get on? Did you beat Nick? Well, tell us. Tell us your score. Tweet us at Sunshine Cinemax. Let us know. Anyway, our film to rent review is Green Book. The story of an Italian-American chauffeur, an African-American pianist, and a trip to the less hospitable parts of the American Deep South. You're listening to Nick and Marcus on the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please remember, don't get them wet, keep them out of bright light, and never feed them after midnight. Well, it's time to review our film to rent, which this week is Green Book, rated 12A. Set in America in 1962, Green Book tells the heartwarming story of Tony Lip, a working-class Italian-American bouncer who takes on a job as a chauffeur for Dr. Don Shirley, a world-class black pianist. The mismatched pair embark on a two-month tour of concert venues in the racially charged Deep South and discover that they're on a road to a meaningful and unique friendship. Dear Dolores, D-E-A-R, this is an animal. As I'm writing this letter, I'm eating potato chips, and I'm starting to get thirsty. And you know this is pathetic, right? Tell me what you're trying to say. I don't know. Yeah, I'll miss her. Then say that but do it in a manner that no one else has ever done it before. Something like, uh, put this down. Falling in love with you was the easiest thing I've ever done. Nothing matters to me but you. 
And every day I'm alive, I'm aware of this. I loved you the day I met you. I love you today. And I will love you the rest of my life. So can I put the P.S. kiss the kids? A P.S.? Yeah, like at the end. That's like clinging a cowbell at the end of Shostakovich's seventh. Right. That's good. It's perfect, Tony. Green Book won Oscars for Best Motion Picture of the Year and Best Original Screenplay. It was directed by Peter Farrelly, uh, one and a half of the Farrelly brothers, who are known for There's Something About Mary, Me, Myself and Irene, and Dumb and Dumber. Uh, the writers were Nick Vallelonga, who is the son of Tony Lip, and Brian Hayes Curry and Peter Farrelly. And it stars Viggo Mortensen, Mahershala Ali, who won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar for this role. Now, Nick, this uh, film, as I mentioned, was uh, crowned the best picture at the Oscars earlier this year. Uh, do you think it was worthy of such a, an achievement? I, I pers- out of all of the films nominated for best picture this year, I would probably rank this near the bottom, I think. I mean, it's been a particularly strong year, uh, I think. Um, I wouldn't rank it at the very bottom, because there's, there's another film that's, that's in there that we've talked about many times before. Um, but it's... Um, it's the kind of film I can understand being the, the, the second or third favourite of people voting for the Oscars, which is how um, Summoner's Ballots can can work. And as I said, in a particularly strong year, uh, a film like that can rise to the top of the pile as, as the more interesting candidates split the vote between them. It's, um, it's a safe bet. And safe is probably the word that um, best describes the film as a, as a whole, I think. I saw this in the cinema when it came out, and didn't really feel particularly strongly about it in, in, in any way. I thought, you know, I thought it was fine. On a second view, my opinion of that hasn't really changed. I, I did forget that there's a slickness to it, which is immediately noticeable. And maybe that's what swayed people to vote for it when it came to awards. It, t- it takes a very glossy, polished approach, which you know, has a certain charm to it. It's uh, tightly edited, uh, and the dialogue is, is snappy. It's uh, a very convincing piece of fluff. The problem is that it's not content to be a piece of fluff. And while I don't think the film is um, trying to make any big social-political statements, I think the decision to not be challenging in that respect marks it as something of a relic. I think there's a reason why it's been constantly compared to Driving Miss Daisy, and it's not just because it's about two people in a car and one of them is a racist. It's, it's difficult to not compare it to, to Black Klansman, which is also nominated for the uh, the Best Picture this year, I think that that one best adapted screenplay at the um, at the Oscars, and and tackled the same the same issues, although from a very different scenario. And Black Klansman used its ending to say very explicitly that racism is still a, a massive issue that we need to, to to work like that to to properly eradicate. And by comparison, I think Greenberg is setting out to make people feel a lot more comfortable about these issues. And I, I can see why people might gravitate towards this more than than Black Klansman. But that attitude, or, or lack of one, is part of why it's uh, it's an inferior film, in, in my eyes. And I felt that it isn't even that effective in the way that it tells its story. The, the film shows very early on very clearly how, how racist Tony is, as the incident with the glasses. But I didn't really see any moments after that that really show any growth from his initial position. He seems pretty happy to be, um, you know, hanging out with other black people almost almost instantly when he's sort of left outside the house with the uh, the other drivers. 
and you know, although he still has very stereotyped ideas of who they are, but the, the film fails to show why or uh, even when he he changes his outlook, which is the the, the point of the story. Um, I've seen the film summed up as the story of a racist who learns to not be racist, but I think that might actually be giving the film too much credit when it, it really you know, it doesn't even hold up to that um, reductive synopsis. Uh, the cast, you know, do do go with with what they have. There's a certain swing to the dialogue, um, which, which helps, even if the plot is contrived and there are really only four actual characters to speak of, which is um, you know, Don, Tony, the uh, the Russian musician whose name I can't remember, and uh, the wife. Uh, Viggo Mortensen disappears into his role as as, as Tony. Lip. He's you know he's very good at that uh, that very very large character. Mahershala Ali I think perhaps did deserve his, his best supporting actor Oscar win, although I am still a little bit disappointed that Sam Elliott didn't win for A Star Is Born. He's, he's performing in a very controlled manner as befits his uh, uptight character. It's the kind of acting that I think is, is, is difficult to pull off and still be distinctive, but um, he manages it very well and he's you know, really fun to watch as well. The production design teams did good work sets look good costumes are good um and you know whoever sourced all of those classic cars deserves some sort of uh, uh, a mention as well but as i mentioned when i brought this up in the review of holmes and watson i only noticed those because my attention was wandering quite a little bit and i think i noticed that you used the word heartwarming when you introduced it i my heart did not feel warm really it just i mean it's it's not bad it's just it felt to me like the bare minimum like it's a, a, a little bit like late night raid it's just sort of there and it's pleasant enough to watch but it's it's not going to and it, and it hasn't stuck in my mind much after, after after watching it even though there are some people doing very good work in it okay so let's have your score out of 10 okay um again i'm gonna give it a five out of ten they say you can't judge a book by the cover. Uh, that's that's good advice when it comes to people. That's good advice in general. When it comes to this film, though, you I think you can absolutely judge it based on a cover. If you look at the poster, it's got a, a certain sort of uh, pastel palette going on. You see them in the car, and you go, "Yeah, that's 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 the film. It's good enough to look at." They're they're in a car at some point. Um, and that's, that, that's it, really. I feel like I got more out of it. Um, maybe I had less expectations going in, or I don't know what it was. I I really enjoyed the film. Um, mm. If I could squeeze one more point onto your 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 five out of ten and bump it to sure. to six, I, okay. I I just felt that yeah, I enjoyed it. I mm-hmm. I don't know. I, it's enjoyable. Yes, I, I think it's just when I take a closer look at these things, there's not much underneath the surface uh, yeah perhaps, perhaps that's the thing if you, you you go in and just take it as what's served yeah you, you'll probably enjoy it mm-hmm. maybe if you dig a bit deeper you might have a few more issues with it yeah the book is the cover perhaps <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> okay thank you Nick uh, we'll be back very shortly with a few uh, films to look forward to upcoming releases uh, on uh, films to rent and at the cinema well, let's give you a little rundown of some of the upcoming releases then. Uh, Nick, what's caught your eye at the cinema? Uh, well, the big one coming up is Toy Story 4, of course, which I imagine will be uh, what we review on the programme next time. I am anxious about this, but only because of how 
how good Toy Story three was and how it sort of perfectly ended that uh, that particular uh, run of stories. Oh, you already could do Toy Story too far. It, yes, <laughs> yes, I, I suppose so. But the reviews have been have been good so far. So we'll wait and see. Oh, I will just say, Keanu Reeves is uh, his voice is in it. Yes, so yes. that's always a good thing. Duke Kaboom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got a motorcycle toy. Uh, also out, there's um, they they remade Child's Play for oh. for, for some reason. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. There's also a um, produced by James Gunn, uh, Brightburn, which is uh, like a, a horror movie take on um, the idea of um, Superman. Like, you know, what if Superman as a young kid, but uh, but bad and and evil and and stuff. Oh, mixed mixed reviews on that one because it's, it's been out in the states for a couple of months. Uh, so we we'll say, out on DVD. Um, this is what, one of my favourites from from last year. This is "If Beale Street Could Talk," um, which is directed by uh, a man whose name I've forgotten out of my mind. This is the same same director as Moonlight. Um, no, I've completely forgotten his name, but he's, he's very good. Um, and "If Beale Street Could Talk" is very good as well. Deals with some very heavy social issues, and yet the way that it approaches them, it's the way that it tells the story. I believe I said this at the time when maybe it was in the charts. It's a, just a really, really nice way to spend a couple of hours just watching this uh, this relationship go through all sorts of uh, twists and turns. It's a really, really good film. And I hope people check it out. Ah, and I would just mention, uh, being released, or we release at the UK cinemas tomorrow, is the wonderful Italian job. Oh, yes, because 50 years? 50 old? years. Ah, okay. The original Italian job. Uh, and not the remake that I don't like to talk about. But um, I remember watching the remake and liking it. <laughs> but but then it was when was that? Two thousand three. I would have been uh, fourteen or, or so. Look, it's a perfectly acceptable film. It's, yeah, yeah. I, should, I had very different tastes back then. But they should not have called it the Italian job. That's all I'm saying. It's yeah. Was it still set in Italy? Like the actual? I, I can't even remember that bit. I, I, I seem to... Uh, no, I think that's the thing. There's, there's a heist at the beginning with um, Donald Sutherland that he gets he gets offed. And that was that's the Italian job that's referred to in the title. And the rest of it is sort of like... It's, it's, it's revenge for for that one. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, I, I tried to forget it. Because oh. I love the original so much. Yeah. Such a good film, Michael Caine. It's a very it's, distinctly 60s film as well. So it was, it was an odd choice to remake for... Yeah, for name uh, purposes. Yeah, well, it is what it is. But there you go. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, unless there's anything else you'd like to interject with me. Uh, I'm looking at the the other stuff that's coming up, and nothing else is <laughs> is catching my eyes. It's a slow, bit of a slow couple of weekends. But Toy Story, Story Toy Story Four is is the big one. I imagine that's what uh, everyone else will begin to see. Excellent. Well, that's it for the Sunshine Cinema Show today. Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you. And let's all thank you for listening. Yes. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Sunshine Cinemax. Until the next episode, doodaloo. Bye. If you missed anything in today's episode, you can hear the edited podcast online. Just search for the Sunshine Cinema Show podcast. This is a Sunshine Hospital Radio production. Get well soon.